dear loving Father in heaven, glory be unto thy name for giving us this privilege of life. We pray, Father, that you would consecrate us to your service that we may use our lives to the glory of your holy name. Lord in heaven, we have our trials and temptations to meet as we go through the day and we want that you would help us. Of our own selves, we can do nothing. But abiding in you, we are assured of victory. Therefore, Lord, we pray, please abide in us. As we abide in you through the words we'll be hearing in this devotion, we pray, Father, that you shall strengthen us and give us intelligence, wisdom to meet the trials for the day and strength to overcome the temptations. Be with me, dear Lord, and consecrate me to your service. Put your words in my mouth and grant me of your spirit that I may speak words of blessings to all who would listen. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage July 18 A Voice in the Wilderness and Elijah the Tishbite said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 1 Among the mountains of Gilead, east of the Jordan, there dwelt in the days of Ahab a man of faith and prayer, whose fearless ministry was destined to check the rapid spread of apostasy in Israel. Far removed from any city of renown and occupying no high station in life, Elijah the Tishbite nevertheless entered upon his mission, confident in God's purpose to prepare the way before him and to give him abundant success. The word of faith and power was upon his lips, and his whole life was devoted to the work of reform. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness to rebuke sin and press back the tide of evil. And while he came to the people as a reprover of sin, his message offered the balm of Gilead to the sin-sick souls of all who desired to be healed. To Elijah was entrusted the mission of delivering to Ahab heaven's message of judgment. He did not seek to be the Lord's messenger. The word of the Lord came to him, and jealous for the honor of God's cause, he did not hesitate to obey the divine summons, though to obey seemed to invite swift destruction at the hand of the wicked king. It was only by the exercise of strong faith in the unfailing power of God's word that Elijah delivered his message. Had he not possessed implicit confidence in the one whom he served, he would never have appeared before Ahab. On his way to Samaria, Elijah had passed by ever-flowing streams, hills covered with verdure and stately forests that seemed beyond the reach of drought. Everything on which the eye rested was clothed with beauty. The prophet might have wondered how the streams that had never ceased their flow could become dry or how those hills and valleys could be burned with drought, but he gave no place to unbelief. 
he fully believed that God would humble apostate Israel and that through judgments they would be brought to repentance. The fiat of heaven had gone forth. God's word could not fail. And at the peril of his life, Elijah fearlessly fulfilled his commission. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is A Voice in the Wilderness. Yesterday we left off looking at the blighting influence of Jezebel, the wife of Ahab. For the kind of sin and influence of Ahab and Jezebel in Israel, God also raised up a man of colossal faith to check the blighting influence of this pair. While we know that Jezebel is infamous for evil, God raised a man who is famous today for righteousness and for strong, firm, earnest faith. Just as the name of Ahab and Jezebel were proverbial for wickedness, in so much that these names are still heard today, so also God raised a man from obscurity and made him even greater than these pair to check their influence. Reading from the book of First Kings chapter 17 verse 1 to 3, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these three years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself beside the brook Cherit, that is before Jordan. You see, this mission that Elijah executed was one that was a fearful one. It was fraught with fears and also with the consequence of perhaps his death. Nevertheless, Elijah went ahead to execute the mission. Reading from Conflict and Courage, page 205, paragraph 2, we are told, far removed from any city of renown and occupying no high station in life, Elijah the Tishbite nevertheless entered upon his mission, confident in God's purpose to prepare the way before him and to give him abundant success. The word of faith and power was upon his lips, and his whole life was devoted to the work of reform. His was the voice of one crying in the wilderness to rebuke sin and press back the tide of evil. And while he came to the people as a reprover of sin, his message offered the balm of Gilead to the sin-sick souls of all who desired to be healed. End of quote. The work of rebuking kings has always been a fearful work. Many have shrunk away from this responsibility. But God has always raised up men for this purpose. When leaders turn away from God, God always has his people whom he uses to show them their sin. In the last years of Asha, that remarkable man, something like this happened. But in the book of Second Chronicles 16 from verse 1, it says, In the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asha, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asha, king of Judah. Then Asha brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and the kings and of the king's house, and sent to Ben-Hadad king of Syria that dwelt at Damascus, saying, There is a league between me and thee, as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, 
Break thy league with Basha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto king Asher, and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they smote Ejon, and Dan, and Abel-Maim, and all the store of the cities of Naphtali. And it came to pass, when Basha heard it, that he left off building of Ramah, and let his work cease. Then Asher the king took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah, and the timber thereof, wherewith Basha was building. And he built therewith Geba and Mizpah. And at that time, take note now, here a prophet like Elijah comes to rebuke Asher, because what Asher did here seemed to be good, but it wasn't. There was war now. You know, remember that Israel, Asher, during his time, he was reigning and the Lord blessed him because of the great reforms that he did. And you remember that people from Simeon, Manasseh, Ephraim were coming from Israel to join him. Basha knew about that and wanted to stop the kingdom from falling into his hands because people from Basha's kingdom were all going to meet Asher. So he wanted to block it and wanted to fight against Asher. And he started building these walls to block those who were going to the southern kingdom from going. And what did Asher do? He could have gone to battle with Basha, he could have prayed about it, but he did something that the Lord did not like. He went to seek help from the heathen. This man called Ben-Hadad of Syria was not a man of God. He was from Syria, a place that does not follow the principles of the Lord. And he made a league with Ben-Hadad and the Lord did not like it. So the Lord raised up a prophet to rebuke him. His name is Hanani, reading from verse 7 it says, And at that time Hanani the seer came to Asher king of Judah and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host, with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Then Asha was wroth with the seer, and put him in a prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing and Asher oppressed some of the people the same time. You see that? That's an example of the consequences of rebuking kings. Asher, this remarkable king that we have talked about before, he had this blot in his life that he rose up against those who rebuked him. He couldn't bear rebuke. He put Hanani in prison and not just Hanani but other people who spoke against the thing that he did. He was offended with them and he vexed them and he was in a rage. He oppressed them. And this is the fear that comes to those who want to speak to people who are in power. But like Elijah, we are to be fearless. Another person who entered into this kind of uh, work was the son of Jehoiada, the boy called Joash, who was the one we know as the youngest king who became king at age seven. There was somebody who orchestrated him being king. His name is Jehoiada. Jehoiada was the high priest at the time. Jehoiada protected Joash when Ataliah, the daughter of Jezebel, who was who married the son of Jehoshaphat, was the queen in Judah. You can imagine that. So Jezebel's daughter was a queen in the southern kingdom at the time. Now, when she realized that her family was lose uh, killed and 
um, the kingdom was going away from them, she killed all the sons of David and Jehoiada hid one of them and that was Joash. Eventually, they trained him up till he was about seven years old. They plotted and, Jeho- and uh, Ataliah herself was executed and they made this young boy, Joash, king. Joash continued to follow the Lord as far as Jehoiada, the man who brought him up, was with him. He followed all Jehoiada's advice and his kingdom was established. But in Second Chronicles 24 verse 15 it reads, But Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died, and 130 years old when was, when, was he when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both towards good, towards God, and towards his house. Now, after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them, and they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord, and they testified against them, but they will not give ear. Now, and the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, which stood before the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. That's all this man said. Do you know what happened to him? Verse 21. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus, Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, that Zechariah's father, had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. You see, apart from Asha and Joash, there was also Jeroboam who tried to seize the prophet that rebuked him, but his hands froze and got paralyzed. King Saul's example was also before Elijah. He murdered the priesthood for what he thought was a conspiracy between them and David. Jeremiah was kept in a dungeon and given moldy bread to eat for the same reason. It has never been a pleasant work to rebuke kings and speak so boldly to them. Their faults. John the Baptist was beheaded for it. Zechariah was stoned for it. Generally, rebuking people, not only kings, always comes with consequences. The one who does this work risks either being killed or losing the favor of the person rebuked. But then, should we, because of this, refuse to do the work? Elijah knew that the apostasy in Israel needed a firm and stern rebuke, and he did not shrink from the work. work. He had been praying in love for Israel that the Lord should stay the evil that was taking place because of Jezebel and Ahab. Jezebel had built idols and groves all over Israel from place to place as you walk around you see it and it was influencing the people. They had forsaken God more than they had done under the watch of all kings before Ahab. That is Omri, Zimri, Basha, Nadab, Jeroboam. These people were terrible people but Ahab was no, this man was Jeroboam 2.0. He was in another level when it comes to disobedience and Israel was going down and down. And at such a time as this, it doesn't need someone to come with a wishy-washy message. It doesn't need smooth talk. It doesn't need soft talk. It needs firmness and it needs fortitude and indomitableness and the courage that will look the king in the face and tell him what his error is. And not just that. He needs someone who loves the people so that he can, as it were, use a rod on the people 
that they may come back to their senses. And this was the prayer of Elijah, that the Lord will do something to Israel that will make them recall or make them realize that they have departed from him. Because if sentence against an evil work is not executed, what do we read in Exodus 8 verse 11? The heart of men will be fully set in them to do evil. Unless the Lord sends some calamity to wake the people up, they will continue to do their evil. They will say they are prospering. And that was Elijah's pain. Lord, these people are still going on prospering in the evil. You need to do something to wake them up. You need to do something to stop them in their tracks that they may know that you are not with them so that they can change. And Elijah prayed for them and he rebuked the king and prayed for something to happen in Israel that will bring them to their senses. Today, we are in such a situation where we look at the churches of today and we see that there's rank apostasy everywhere. We are, as it were, in the same time where Jezebel has come into the house of the Lord and is teaching the people to eat things sacrificed to idols and also to seduce and to commit fornication. At such a time as this, Elijah's are needed reading from the book gospel workers of 1892 page 82 it says ministers should be faithful watchmen seeing the evil and warning the people their dangers must be set before them continually and pressed home upon them the exhortation given to timothy was reprove rebuke exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine second timothy 4 verse 2 god wants men to cultivate force of character those who are merely time servers are not the ones who will receive a rich reward by and by. He wants those who labor in his cause to be men of keen feeling and quick perception. They should be temperate in eating, rich and luxurious in eating. Rich and luxurious food should find no place upon their tables, and they and when the brain is constantly taxed and there and there is a lack of physical exercise, they should eat sparingly, even of the plain food. Daniel's clearness of mind and firmness of purpose, his strength of intellect in acquiring knowledge were due in a great degree to the plainness of his diet in connection with his life of prayer. So this is what qualifies men to do the work but as I said earlier, God wants us to set before the people continually, set before them their dangers, not often, not sometimes but continually their dangers must be set before them and pressed upon them. Never was there greater need of faithful warnings and reproofs and close straight dealing than at this very time. Satan has come down with great power, knowing that his time is short. He is flooding the world with pleasing fables and the people of God love to have smooth things spoken to them. Sin and iniquity are not abhorred. I was shown that God's people must make more firm determined efforts to press back the incoming darkness. The close work of the Spirit of God is needed now as never before. Stupidity must be shaken off. We must arouse from the lethargy that will prove our destruction unless we resist it. Satan has a powerful controlling influence upon minds. Preachers and people are in danger of being found upon the side of the powers of darkness. There is no such thing now as a neutral position. We are all decidedly for the right or decidedly with the wrong. Christ said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Ministers of the present truth, while they bear a pointed testimony, 
reproving individual wrongs and seeking to tear away the idols from the camp of Israel should manifest forbearance. They should preach the truth in its solemnity and importance, and if this finds its way to the heart, it will accomplish that for the receiver which nothing else can. But if the truth spoken in the demonstration of the Spirit does not cut away the idols, it will be of no avail to denounce and bear down upon the individual. It may appear that some are joined to their idols, yet I saw that we should be very reluctant to give up the poor deceived ones. We should ever bear in mind that we are all erring mortals and that Christ exercises much pity for our weakness and loves us although we err. If God should deal with us as we often deal with one another, we should be consumed. While ministers preach the plain cutting truth, they must let the truth do the cutting and hewing, not do it themselves. They should lay the axe, the truth of God's word, at the root of the tree, and something will be accomplished. Pour out the testimony just as straight as it is found in the word of God, with a heart full of the warming, quickening influence of his spirit, and all in tenderness yearning for souls, work among God's people will be effectual." End of quote. Here is delineated for us the work that we need to do today in, in seeking to help people to cut off the idols from them. The straight and plain testimony as pointed as it is must be given exactly as it is written in the word of God and we are not to make excuses for it. We are not to tell people that uh, we apologize for what we are saying. You know, sometimes when we want to talk to people to reduce the force of what we are saying, we say, well, in my opinion, this is this, or uh, what I think is, is not what we think, it's not our opinion we are supposed to give to people. We are to give them a plain thought, saith the Lord, with all force and authority. And that's why we were told that ministers need force of character. Even the voice when such a message is given to a people to startle them is not such as would make them think that you do not believe what you are saying. It's not a voice that will make them think that you are not sure of yourself or one that will make them think that you do not mean what you are saying. It must be given in that voice of stern rebuke when you see that the Jezebels have taken away God's people from serving him. This is how we must give the message today to a people who know the truth and have departed from it. But also, it must be done with a heart that is tender. We are not to do the cutting ourselves by using words to uh, insult or saying things that the Word of God does not say. The Word of God in and of itself is already cutting. That is, read the Word of God exactly as it is written. For example, Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, contained there are things that when people read them, you are not the one doing the cutting, it is the Word of God you are reading they would realize that this is what I am doing. Go into the words of the prophets. When you read the book of Amos, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Hosea, you see stern cutting rebukes given to those who depart from the, from the word of God. Reading these things to the people and depending on those things and breaking it down, rightly dividing those words, the word of God will be pointed and it will be a straight testimony that will cut to the hearts of the people and cut away the idols. But what more than this? The love that we have for people should lead us to pray that the Lord will do things in their life that will cut them off from their idols so that they will not continue going on in their tracks to do the evil thing that they are doing. You see, 
Elijah prayed for something which we will talk about in subsequent devotions and how it is that he accomplished his mission. He accomplished it by faith. That's how Elijah accomplished it. He asked for something. How did Elijah know? Because he told Ahab, there will be no rain except at my word. What gave him the confidence to say that it was his word that will bring, that will bring the rain again to Israel? How can he do that? Was he being presumptuous? No, he wasn't. He wasn't being presumptuous because faith comes by hearing the word of God. And the word of God says in the book of Leviticus 26 that when God's people depart from him, that the heavens will be made like iron and rain will not fall. Depending on this word, Elijah had been in his house praying that the Lord will fulfill that word. Imagine that, praying for something bad to happen to Israel. But do you know that that is love? You know, Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And we should understand that it is out of love the Lord does his chastisements. Elijah was praying for chastisement upon Israel, knowing very well that that is the only thing that will bring them to their senses. Elijah did not preach long sermons for Israel. He just prayed for the rain to stop. And when he knew that the Lord had heard his prayer, even though, like we read, he saw around him evidences that looked like, well, this whole drought thing is not going to happen. He did not focus on that. He depended on God's word which he had read in the book of Leviticus 26 and also Deuteronomy 28 that said that when Israel departs from God, the heavens will be made as iron. He depended on that word disregarding his eyes and what he was seeing. You see, we do not walk by sight but we walk by faith. It says the prophet might have wondered how the streams that had never ceased their flow could become dry or how those hills and valleys could be burned with drought. But he gave no place to unbelief. He fully believed that God would humble apostate Israel and that through judgments they will be brought to repentance. Amen. The fiat of heaven had gone forth. God's word could not fail. Which of God's word? Where did he see God's word? Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26. That is the word that Elijah knew could not fail. So he prayed and God's word could not fail and at the peril of his life Elijah fearlessly fulfilled his commission. End of quote. That is conflict and courage. Page 205 paragraph 4. So, Elijah had that faith. But what I really want us to focus on, apart from the fact that he had faith in God's word, and that was how he was able to pray for this to happen, is that he prayed for Israel to be humbled. Brothers and sisters, parents, some of us are not praying for our children to be humbled when we see them going away from God. You see your friends going away from God, or your parents, or your loved ones, whoever, whatever relation you have with them. It could be your daughter, your son, your father, your mother, your spouse. When you see them going away from God, listen, this is what you should do. Do what Elijah did. Pray for them to be humbled. What does that mean? Pray for God to take them through a trying experience that will bring them to their senses, that when they pass through that experience, through it, they will remember the Lord and call upon his name. When Samson's eye was plucked off, he remembered his Lord and he never went into that sin of adultery anymore. When Israel went through the, uh, through the drought of three and a half years, they worshipped God after that. Later on, Israel apost- Judah apostatized and God sent them 70 years into captivity. He chastised them, he humbled them and they remembered the Lord and never did they go back to that idolatry again till even the coming of Christ. So, we need to learn this lesson that God wants us to pray for our brethren. 
it is not always to pray oh lord let my children get the visa oh lord let my children pass this exam oh lord my children let them do this let them get that you keep praying for things when you see that your child or whoever it is that you see even the church is going in the wrong direction is that the kind of prayer we are to make for them when we see that they are going in the wrong direction and they are going to perish in their sins what we need to do is pray like elijah it's not lord let my child get admission lord let my child let him have a son let him have a wife be concerned about the spiritual state of your friend or your spouse and what you should be praying for them is when you see them continually constantly going in the wrong direction even when you have talked to them pray that the lord should humble them pray that the lord should take them through an experience that will wake them up it's only those who love that can do this. Some people never, they will not pray something like that. But we need to learn that if we really love our, the people that are surrounding us, whether it is the church or the world or someone you have a relation with, you would pray like Elijah did for them to be humbled so that through that humbling experience, you can take advantage of it or anyone can take advantage of it and talk to them and say, remember God. Pray to the Lord now that you are in this kind of distress. What is the humbling experience? It could be a loss of the job. Not, I'm not talking of very huge stuff. It could just be a loss of the job. It could be just one incident of a near-death experience. It could also be sickness. It could be anything. The Lord is the one who knows how to do it. Trust the Lord. Don't be afraid of such prayer. Trust God. God is more loving than you are. You don't love them more than God loves them. Trust God leave things in god's hands he will take care of it tell him lord humble them and let him choose what he will do and the lord will do it and your child or whoever it is will be blessed so for us let us also remember to give the street testimony like elijah did today god expects us to give the same testimony as we see the influence of jezebel in the church of god if we have love for god and his people we will not be indifferent towards the evil evil influences taking place in the church and what kind of prayer are we to pray? The same kind that Elijah prayed. We will pray for God to visit them in judgments. That's what Elijah prayed for. For God to visit Israel in judgments that will bring them to their senses. We will not request for them to go on in sin without being checked. But like Elijah, we will want God to bring in corrective measures against them. This is love. Let us learn to have this kind of love, my brothers and sisters. And the Lord make you an Elijah for your time. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the word which you have spoken to us. We may be like Israel who are going in the wrong direction. Please, Lord, help us not even to get chastised, but to come to our senses before you visit us with judgments. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to stop on our tracks and do what is right. Also, we pray, help us, Lord, that if we see anyone around us, we should pray for them, rebuke, exhort, and direct them to the right place. And pray for, uh, that the Lord will visit them too, as Elijah did. Help us to have that love of Christ in us that would pray for our brethren and pray for the Lord to intervene in their lives. Lord, intervene in our own lives. Help us, Lord, to listen to instruction, not to go to the place where we need your judgment. But if necessary, Lord, we are not afraid of your affliction because we know that you afflict us in love. Like David said, we know that you afflict us in faithfulness. Let it be, dear Lord, and let your will be accomplished that we will not perish in our sins. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen.